Welcome to Behind the DM Screen for April of 2022. We are three DMs talking about our games and helping each other out. I am Jeff Greiner. Joining me today is DM Samuel. Sam, how are you today? I am good. How are you? I'm hanging in there, you know? It's it's getting to that point of the, the semester that it's crunch time for us in the education world. Yep. And uh, Ismail Alvarez is... Uh, Ably replacing Mike Shea in this episode. Um, Mike was busy this week, and here, so here we are. So, Ish, how are you? I am good. Uh, glad to be here, as always. So, we put 15 minutes on the clock, which we will absolutely strictly adhere to. Always. Uh, it's for each of us to talk we, about our games. We are rule followers. We are... I mean, it, we, we're gamers, right? And the rules are very important for games. If you don't follow the rules, then... Don't um, rules lawyer me, wrong. Jeff. <laughs> uh, I think the, the correct strategy is to um, use me as the rules lawyer to help you adjudicate calls more, more efficiently, right? Right. So don't, don't, don't rules lawyer me. <laughs> I'm an asset, dang it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, uh, Ismail, you've been on the show before, right? Yes, I have. All right. So you know the routine, so it's, I don't feel bad about having you as the guest uh, going first because it is Mike's turn to go first and you're Mike today. So uh, tell us about your games. Yeah. So um, I've, I've been on here before. I've talked about this. Um, I've been on a strict regiment of doing eight games a week. And although there's been some shuffles, it's still at eight. Like, I don't know how I did it. I I made a New Year's resolution or something that I was going to get it down to six, and it has not. Uh, it, that, it's like a Hydra's head, but do you, here Okay, we are. wait, I have to stop you right there. I know it's only been like two minutes, but who makes a New Year's resolution to play fewer games? A guy who plays, who runs eight games a week. How is it even possible to play eight games a week? That is amazing. Tell us your secret. Well, um, so the, the, we'll go over the overview because that's what I was going to do anyhow. But um, so at this new job that I'm at, they're great and they let me do a D&D club. And so we meet Mondays and Tuesdays, but just for about an hour and 15 minutes each time. Um, I count that as one game because you basically get like a session in. Uh, then on Tuesdays, I've been wor- running a Warhammer whoa, whoa, whoa. 40k. I, I have to interrupt again. So you're uh, running eight games a week, but you're doing it in nine sessions. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Go on. Well, wait, no. he wasn't done yet, so there might actually be more There than might nine. be more sessions, <laughs> right? <laughs> so then Tuesdays, I have started running a Warhammer 40k Wrath and Glory game, which is actually going really well. I'll talk about that one a little bit more. I know it's not D&D, but um, bear with me on that. Uh, on Wednesdays, I have a kind of freeform Forgotten Realms game that I call Dawn of Thay. It's very, like, it started as a Lost Mind of Delver. It kind of went towards, like, hey, we're going to resist the Thaeans. Uh, and that's a group of, like, younger kiddos that I'm running the game for for a friend because they're like, hey, these are my nephews. I really want them to learn about D&D. Uh, also on Wednesdays is another game that I run for my girlfriend, which is a one-on-one game. We just started that one recently. Um, and that's really cool. 
Uh, then on Thursdays, in fact, right after we're done with this, I'm going to be doing uh, one of my uh, long-running games called uh, War Drums of Mount Nimro. It's one that where I combined like Rise of the Rune Lords from Paizo uh, and uh, kind of a setting from um, the old Palladium books, uh, Mount Nimro with the fire giants and so on. Uh, and then that's Thursdays. Um, Fridays, I've started doing kind of like a weird West Marches thing for some old students of mine. Uh, we had we finished a couple of campaigns, and now we're trying to do it a little bit more play-by-post because everybody's just busy. So when you say weird West Marches, are you saying that it's West Marches but odd, or are you mashing up the weird West genre and a West Marches game? <laughs> no, but I like that idea. <laughs> Maybe next time. Um, but yeah, it's just West marches. It's just, we're trying to do this kind of like, you know, lived in world or whatever. And, uh, Saturdays is what used to be adventures league. We kind of fell off of doing that, but we're still meeting at a store and doing uh, a number of different games. One of my really good friends is running a curse of Strahd game. That's a separate table at our table. We were doing tomb of annihilation. The group kind of fell apart. Now I've started running tyranny of dragons and I'll talk about that in a little bit. That's Saturdays. Then Sunday, my Sunday group actually imploded, and that that's I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, and we're trying to bring some of those people back for a game every other week because one of the people in that group runs game every other week anyways, and so it's this whole thing. And that's actually it. That's all. That's it. Just, it's <laughs> Just like that. Um, there's a lot that I could talk about, but I'll kind of, I'll keep it succinct. Um, I want to talk about the Tyranny of Dragons game on Saturday. Um, I've I've played Tyranny of Dragons about two or three times at this point. I've never finished it as a player. Every single time I've played it, it's been punishing. Um, not especially fun. The people who have run it have run it by the book, which is you know that's not their fault. Uh, but I like to say that the first five chapters of that is just brutal punishing of players for either not knowing exactly what to do and how to do it, or just understanding that you're going to fail the entire way through. It's really good about failing you forward, but it's not very good about making you feel good about doing that. There's ways to do that. Uh, and that was, that was kind of the reason I wanted to run that, um, that adventure a, it's the very first adventure. It's kind of one that, that a lot of people have played. But B, I just wanted to see if I put my own spin on it, can I make it fun? Can I make it to where people just don't feel like, oh, God, what what are we going to – are we going to get imprisoned this time? Is someone going to just pop out of nowhere and beat us up that we plainly cannot you know, fight against and so on and so forth? So it's been – I've run two sessions – no, sorry, three sessions of it so far – Everybody's ha been having a blast. I've been modifying things here and there. Um, primarily, they just got done with the bandit camp. Um, and I actually had it to where the um, the blue dragon that, the spoilers, there's the blue dragon that shows up, um, wipes out all of the bandits because they're like, hey, we hired you to attack this town and to help us get this thing. We're done Instead of paying you for all of this, we're just going to take all the money we were going to pay you, plus whatever you've stolen, and then that's a net gain to us, uh, as well as Tiamat. Um, and that way, the group didn't have to go in 
and uh, fight or sneak through an entire bandit camp. They just had to deal with the uh, dragon cultists who remained because they were the ones that were like, hey, we're in charge. And the blue dragon flew off with the green dragon mask that you were supposed to get. So no, they didn't get that green dragon mask, but they did get to beat up the cultists and feel good about that. Well, um, and, 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 there's, and there's the whole thing about the mask not really being a, a meaningful, unfortunately, anyway. So, Right, and that, they'll, they'll get to that too, but um, there's so much of that, the first two chapters of that book, especially, and then as I go through the, the next ones, I, I'm sure I'll kind of... Um, be a little bit more aware of how the rest of it goes, but um, you're you're just supposed to not succeed that entire time, or you're just supposed to like um, be pushed through in a way that just kind of feels disingenuous. I, I I know that it was a lot of adjusting to the sensibilities of fifth edition. Obviously, it was right. it was written before fifth edition was even fully formed. Um, and that was kind of to the book's detriment, but it mm-hmm. felt a lot like a Pathfinder adventure path um, on purpose because that's what the people who wrote it, I think, had as, as a guideline. That was all that existed at that point for that kind of, you know, grand adventure. But um, I'm pretty happy with the way I'm running it. I'm, I'm very eager to see how it proceeds and the changes that I'll make. If um, the precedent of my previous games is uh, means anything... I'm eventually going to just forget about the Horde of the Dragon Queen book and just do something entirely different anyway. So, well, you know, stay tuned for that. The next time I'm, I'm on, I'll tell you how it went. That's kind of how it ended up playing out. The one, So I never ran Tyranny of Dragons, but I played in a, in a campaign. At one point, I I was able to take a break in, uh, from my normal group uh, back in North Carolina and got to play a little bit, which is, is always fun. Um, and it started off very much Tyranny of Dragons and then... I think because the guy that was DMing wanted it to be different and a little bit surprising since he knew that I'd read the book and whatever. Um, so he just went like, we got about, a, I don't know, halfway through the first of the two books and then it diverged significantly, became a whole other thing. And then, you know, came back at the end and then you fight TMN. So it's, it's sort of, you know, that was sort of uh, the, the gist of the, the larger sort of uh, storyline. Like it, it dropped a lot of it. So. That's uh, exactly how I expect mine to go. Yeah. Um, that's that's all I have to say about Tyranny of Dragons for right now, at least. Uh, my Tuesday game has been going smashingly. We're about seven sessions in. I've actually been recording it and uploading it as a podcast, but it is uh, Warhammer. Um, I've been like very slowly indoctrinating myself into that kind of Warhammer lore. I, I will not play the, the war game because that just seems like a bridge too far. Uh, but I've been learning a lot about the lore and just having a blast. And um, it was kind of daunting because when I put out the call for it, like 10 people wanted to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I still have people who are beating my door down there like, hey, if you get a if you get an opening, can I join? And I'm like, whoa, hey, all right. Um, but um, we've been having a blast. It's been decent enough having eight players and they all seem to respect each other's time and, and kind of voices. And it's been working out really well. Uh, people are really enjoying kind of the filtering of the Warhammer lore, Warhammer 40 K lore through my game. Uh, one of my players, which is actually, well, two of my players are coworkers 
And so we'll we'll chat about it every so often. And uh, one of them today was like, hey, I've been watching videos about the lore. And it's like, it's really cool to connect what happened in the game to what they're saying and knowing that you're like bringing that in. So that's been a blast. Um, I might put the link to the podcast in, but I um, <laughs> the fourth episode, we lost the recording because I was driving down to my hometown and I stopped at a Taco Bell and I tried to do it from there. Uh, and the recording got all jacked up. So I did a um, like a dramatic retelling of what happened. Uh, and that's just what episode episode four is of that. So that that's fun. Uh, but yeah, I've been having a lot of fun with uh, with Warhammer 40K. And I highly recommend. So you're, it's the 40K, game. not the what, fantasy role plays is the other system right. or game they have. Um, I just it's funny. I just got the Age of Sigmar um, like humble bundle i think it is uh and then there's the so there's age of sigmar and then there's uh warhammer fantasy and despite being very similar they're two completely different things uh but i have not played either of those are they all Uh, using the same system no i I actually looked into it to try and figure that out but no they are not uh age of sigmar and warhammer 40k are uh both made by cubicle 7 um, neither, neither of them uses the same system. And then I think Warhammer Fantasy, I can't remember who does that specific role-playing game. I think they're in a, a, um, I think they're still active, but that's a different company, different system. So it's three like weirdly competing, uh, no, Warhammer Fantasy is still cubicle seven. Okay. I, I wasn't fourth sure. edition. Fourth edition is cubicle seven. They also make the age of Sigmar soul bound or whatever the heck that is, Yes, but it's a different game. It takes place at a different time. It's got a different theme and a different. It's completely different. It's a little confusing. I'm just sticking to my yeah. far future yeah. uh, grim dark for now, at least. Yeah. Which uh, which system are you using for the 40k? Uh, Wrath and Glory. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I really I, I can't say nice enough things about the Wrath and Glory system. I actually got to uh, play test it when it was Ulysses, Ulysses Spiel. And then it went over to Cubicle Seven. They didn't change it a lot, but um, I'm I'm very very fond of it uh, as it is. Um, but yeah, that's that's more or less all I have to say. I I'm very very happy with Wrath and Glory. I'm very happy with the game I'm running. Hmm. Um, I'm gonna try. I haven't actually started, but I'm gonna try and do kind of like a play by post for my Friday game with my former students, and so that's gonna be a real big. Um, Experiment, but I'm going to try and bring in elements from my other games as I have before to kind of make it seem like, okay, maybe they're not, you know, maybe there's a little bit of a slowdown with what they're doing, but other people are doing things that are kind of moving the world and, and making it kind of feel relevant. So um, I'm still in progress of that. I don't have a lot to say about it, but I will, um, obviously, the next time we meet, I will have a lot more to say. And then uh, the last thing I really wanted to talk about is my Sunday game, because that just fell apart entirely. And that used to be what I called my uh, flagship game. Uh, we did an entire, uh, like, 13 levels of a, a, a mostly homebrew Eberron campaign, which went great. And it was nine people. I don't know how I did it, and especially with the way that things kind of panned out. I don't know how we held together. Obviously, the pandemic has a lot to do with it. Uh, but we uh, went from Eberron, which we completed that campaign, went really well, to uh, doing 100% homebrew of something that I had been cooking up. We started with the same nine players, got whittled down to four, 
people kept kind of coming on and joining up, but then they would leave and it was it just became chaotic in a way that I just couldn't handle and uh after it it's been a year since we started that uh that game uh and just one day I was like I'm, I'm not doing this anymore like it just doesn't feel fun um uh, because people were missing you know two and three games in a row and we were having to cancel constantly and I I was expecting that for the holidays cuz that just always happens uh, but well into February, we were just having a lot of scheduling problems and just a lot of issues kind of cropping up. And uh, one player that uh, we were actually kind of worried about who was just completely uh, incommun- incommunicado, we finally heard from him a little while ago, so he's fine. But um, all of the stress of that just didn't make it fun to do, so I just stopped. And now we're doing an every-other-week game with some of the same people and trying to see if that's going to work and just doing something that's a little bit more um, published content so that I'm not stressing out about making everything and then feeling like uh, I'm throwing a lot of effort into a hole, if that makes sense. Yeah. But that that's me. That's yeah, no, all I've got I, in this. I've thought a lot recently about the whole published versus... Um, you know, uh, homebrewed sort of stuff. And, and it, it seems weird. I mean, I don't, and I don't know how it happened, but somehow over the course of the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, I've slowly crept from 95% homebrew and then stealing a few adventures here and there to, to sprinkle into my, my homebrew stuff to um, running almost exclusively published content, but then, you know, adding a few homebrewed sort of story beats and and threads in it. Um, And I'm not entirely sure if it's because I felt like, as part of the podcast, I needed to be conversant in in all these these stories that that are, you know, part of the zeitgeist in D&D, or if it's just, you know, grad school happened and now a new job has happened and it's just, I don't want to take the time to homebrew as much anymore. Uh, but I even found myself like if I were to homebrew a thing, like I oftentimes have ideas for campaigns, but seldom ideas for like the adventures that would make up those campaigns. Like I could, I could, I can come up with a million different really cool ideas for the larger beats and the themes and, and the, you know, the kind of things that would be going on in a, in a large campaign that would be fun and interesting and whatever. But man, what's that first adventure going to be, you know, and, and where does it go from, you know, that, that's, that's a whole level of like, I don't know. I, I don't know if I have those muscles in me anymore. Maybe I need to figure that out. Um, I think I've found a really special joy because a lot of the people I play with right now, um, either my game was the first time they played any tabletop, whether it was Dungeons or Dragons or what have you, or they're coming to me with like, uh, oh, we, we tried to play and it was terrible or like, you know, you're the second person we've ever run for. We tried and nobody knew what they were doing kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've kind of found a special joy in just sharing lore whether it's like forgotten realms whether it's warhammer 40k whether it's the old palladium uh, fantasy campaign setting of just being like i think these things are really neat and i'm going to contrive these adventures to show you the little bits and pieces of them uh that will make you want to learn more uh and 
I, I think some of that is just they're brand new to so many of these concepts and ideas that I want to slowly introduce them to them. Whereas a homebrew campaign um, is going to be like, uh, here's all this crazy stuff that only exists in my brain, and I'm going to try and siphon it out to you somehow that's going to make sense. And that's uh, the older I get, the harder that seems to. Well, to but even even a, a a homebrew campaign in a published setting is something like. Uh, I mean, that's something, I mean, that's what you did with your Eberron game, right? Because they're... they're yeah, because there's not like a hardcover <laughs> Eberron. Right. right, but at least there I had things to do. I could be like, hey, here's the Mornlands. Right. Here's the, you know, here's the Lords of Dust. Here's like all of these really cool things. We're, we're going to do a whole five adventures that are just on the lightning rail. Uh, and those were frameworks upon which I could hang all of my ideas versus... I'm making up a whole world and uh, sometimes you're going to ask me a lot of questions that I just don't have answers for. Um, and those were the moments where I was like, I need to do a lot more homework before I'm ready to do this. And I, maybe that was my mistake was not doing that first so that they didn't like have the, all of these things to ask questions about and like immediately I'd have answers for. And then feeling like that was the way that they could approach the, the kind of, uh, understanding of a world but i mean i don't know someday i'll try it again someday someday i'll try a 100 percent homebrew and feel like maybe i've got um my feet under me well i've had a campaign kicking around in my head for about 15 years now maybe i'll try to exercise those muscles again and, and write something up even if i'm not running it anytime soon all right sam you got any questions or thoughts um, just man, when do you sleep? Because <laughs> right, like I just eight eight games a week. I can't. <laughs> that is like just blows my mind. I mean, I, like I've heard you on episodes before talking about how many games you run. And I'm just like I do the same thing every time. I'm like, holy crap, right. that is so much. I just can't. You know, I've, it's I've amazing. Got, I've got my one game <laughs> on Fridays, and like this week, I'm like, I I don't know when I'm going to do the prep. Like I'm, I'm busy all day tomorrow and tomorrow's the game yeah. and I need to do the prep tonight, but I'm here podcasting instead, you know? So, yeah. uh, you know, I, I sketched out some, some things and whatever, but I'm not going to have the maps ready and the miniatures ready. So it'll just be one of those nights where I, I make it up as I go on that stuff or you got to wait, you know, for me to get stuff out. So the, the funny thing is that, and especially through adventures league, this was kind of what I learned about myself. I can walk in on anything, any group, any kind of situation. Um, I had done it so many times that I started feeling guilty and then I stopped. <laughs> I could just leaf through like uh, an Adventures League adventure and just kind of piece piece things together and run a game. And I could walk into a game coming home or going to a shop from work feeling like absolute crud uh, and feeling like, with, like I could, you know, lay my head down on the table and take a nap. And by the time I'm done running that game, I feel like a million bucks. And I don't mm -hmm. know how to explain it, but it's just a thing that I can do. So I basically go to work. I uh, run D&D. And then every so often I, I get to I get to do uh, date nights or play Monster Hunter Rise with my friends. That's my that that's the entirety of my existence right now. <laughs> yeah, that's not bad. Yeah. Sometimes I eat too. <laughs> I mean, it's good to sustain your metabolism so that right. your make your biology function, right? <laughs> yes. 
All right. Well, uh, I want to let folks know that if you want to support what we do here on Behind the DM Screen and all the other Tome Show shows, you can go to patreon.com slash the Tome Show, uh, become a patron there for as little as a dollar a month, support what we're doing. That helps me pay the bills. Um, so go do that. Sam. Yes, sir. You have a strict 15 minutes on the clock. Go ahead and tell okay. us about your game. So first, I'm going to warn you that it is storming. It's like raining cats and dogs outside right now. And the thunder is so loud, it shook my house a second ago. So just so you know, if I suddenly freeze up and seem to disappear, it probably because I did disappear because my power probably went out. So just, just as a warning for the audience. So my group finally got through um, all of the... Uh, they So they went in... So we're playing Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, right? And... They went into the glacier, right, the, the the caves of hunger, and they're going through, and they got their butts handed to them in the first room. It's like four flame skulls and and like a crushed a, – a, a, a ruined tower, and there's all sorts of like environmental stuff, and, um, and they got their butts handed to them. And then they, they kept going because they were, they were trying to – they they know there's a city in there and they're trying to get through to the city and they go into another place and they get their butts handed to them so they uh they figured out they 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 explored some more and they found a sort of out of the way little side cavern and they did a uh basically a Lehman's tiny hut right and uh and they have like there's a there's a spell from uh, Cobalt Press's um one of their books that ha- it's, it's like ha- has like you make this tent and it's like heals you and do- does all this stuff anyway. So they so they were okay, right? Um, and then, uh, but but they had with them they had Velen Harpel, and they had um, Sonar. Sonar is the pumpkin spice mummy that was in in the in the elven tomb outside of Lonelywood. Who, as written, he's just some kind of lame mummy, and you know you can fight him or get a little bit of information, whatever. I made him uh, into an old um, Netherese wizard who was actually the guardian of that tomb, and uh, so when they woke him up, he saw that a bunch of time had passed since his existence, his living existence, and he recognized one of the PCs as, like, having Netherese blood. Like, somehow he recognized that, right? And so um, so he was talking to them, and he also talked to Velen Harpel, and he told them a bunch of stuff that they wanted to know, and he was still going to stay at the tomb and take care of the tomb. But then when everything happened with the Shardolin dragon and they went and they, they went and went to Oral's house, we talked about this on a previous episode, so I'm not going to give details, but they went to Oral's house. They got the code of Sill of white and they came back uh, and they met with, met up with Velen again. Um, but Velen had gone back to get Sonar and Sonar brought in like this huge, like snow skiff, this old Netherese, like, flying boat skiff thing that was fl- that was flying along the the um the snow that's something i added because i thought it would be cool to have them have a quick way to get to the glacier now that they went and did everything at oral's house that they needed to do and so they got on there and as they were going there they're coming across the ice plains to get to the glacier and they see off in the distance this huge train of like giants and mammoth 
and they're all going like in a single file line and they're going to Oral's house because when the party was at Oral's house, they talked to a couple of the frost giants that were there and they went into so in Oral's house, spoilers of course, we always do spoilers, right? So they, when when you go into Oral's house, there is a, the old frost giant queen is there and they went into her tomb and they did some stuff. And so that kind of awoke things because Oral's house is actually an old frost giant castle. It's not something Oral built. It's she took it over, right? Um, and so all these giants learned or heard or something informed them that the frost giant queen is awake. And so they're like making a pilgrimage to go to coronate a new king, right, at the frost giant castle. So, the, so as they're going, so one of my players their pc has like they're like a rune giant like they they've got they're genasi but they have giant blood in them like so so as they're coming across this tundra area and the train of giants and on mammoths is walking they pause like the giants stop and they they send an envoy of two or three mammoths with giants riding them over to the giant nethery skiff right and they and they're like, what are you doing? Are you are you going to turn and come with us to the coronation? You need to be coming to the coronation, right? And so they're trying to convince this, this PC, hey, who cares what you're doing with this party? This is the most important thing for giantdom in 200 years. Like, we need to be going. You need to come with us. And the PC turned them down. And they um, they gave her this huge, like, mammoth horn, like, actual mammoth tusk that was turned into a horn right gave it to her and said well when you're ready for us to come get you so that you can become part of the kingdom you need to blow this horn right so now they have this huge heavy like a giant <laughs> horn thing and so they continue on they get into the caves of hunger and they get their butts handed to them and but they're with they're with velen and 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 sonar and when they wake up after their night of of rest in in the leomond with the tent thing Sonar and Velen are gone. So they're like, oh, crap, now we got to go find these two, right? Which is perfect for me because I didn't want to spend eight sessions in the Caves of Hunger. As the DM, from the DM's point of view, I didn't want to spend all that time there. And it's huge. It's really big. You could, if you uh, set it up and, and you let them go really slow and explore and, and everything, they could spend three or four sessions minimum in there at least, mm -hmm. right? And I wanted them to do it in like one or two sessions because I'm I'm ready to be done with it. They need to get to the like, you know, we're working up to this huge crescendo and all the, everything that's supposed to happen. And I'm like, let's get going, right? We gotta get going. So I they when they decided to rest, because I didn't think they were gonna rest, when they decided to rest, they woke up and Velen and and Sonar are gone. So they're like, oh crap. So now they're looking around. So I can lead them around now. I'm giving them kind of clues, right? They discover um <laughs> so they 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 uh, they they make a mistake and they um they they send their um their familiar down one of the holes because the um some creatures in the caves have dug these holes and some of them go down like into the underdark and some of them are just from one area of the caves to the other and so they send the a familiar down and the familiar says oh yeah it's fine down there you know it's okay and so they 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 like tap in some pythons and they tie it so that they can climb down. But it's this really like slick tube in ice, right? So they are coming and they, they jump down and a couple of them just jump. And as they jump, they slide down this thing and they go right to a pool of water. But that pool of water as written, it has 
a bunch of creatures in it, right? And, and it's got Rimraz in it. But one of my players is uh, very sort of squeamish about multi-legged worm-like creatures, right? If they have if anything that has lots of legs, they don't really like it. So instead of using Rimraz, I used a creature of my own creation, which is called a frilled snow crawler, which actually got published in uh, Scientific Secrets of Icewind Dale, um, which is a product on DMs Guild that I it's a compilation. A bunch of us got together and wrote two or three cr- creatures each. And anyway, so this creature is—they're actually worse than Rimaraz in terms of what they can do to the party. And of course, they—they fl- the the person went went down the slide and went right into the water. And that pool of water is an incubating pool for the young of this. So they <laughs> made all of these creatures mad. So there's this huge battle, and it was really really fun. Um, but of course it actually didn't work in my favor because it slowed down <laughs> their progress, right? Cause they did that. And then it's like, okay, well, this is taking a whole bunch of the session. So then they look around some more, they find the, the old outpost that as written has a bunch of dark elves in it, but because I have changed rhyme of the frost maiden to not be focused on dark elves at all, which who cares if they're dark elves in there? That's dumb. Um, well, and but the, the story is not really focused on dark elves. No, it's not. Otherwise, anyway. Right. And so I put Dwergar there. And so the party, when they were scouting around, they saw the Dwergar and they're like, okay, we don't want to do anything. We don't want to have anything to do with that. We know those are bad mofos. So we're going to like, we're going to skirt, we're going to try, try to find another way. So they go around. Meanwhile, the, um, and I, I think I did talk about this a little bit, but the the vampire Noel, it, who is his name is Tekalili, and he's running. He lives in the caves of hunger, and as written, he has this interesting backstory, whatever. And and he's like he's like this vampire, and he can hunt really well, and he's very quiet. And of course, he can turn into a mist, and so he can do whatever. But I actually bumped him up a little bit, and I I let him be. I, and, and this is what I said. I think this is where I ended. I think probably my last. Um, uh, behind the DM screen, where he's he's an intelligent assassin that has been hired to chase down someone in the party, and uh, he's this very posh, like has a monocle and has an English accent, right? And he wears very nice clothes when he's in his like humanoid form, and uh, and so he sort of just shows up at one point. He like mists in, and one of the PCs sees the mist out of the corner of their eye, and they kind of all look over, and then he just sort of in you know he just becomes corporeal right in front of them and he basically says you know which one of you is the author because uh one of my pcs has the runaway author background and the runaway author background is from rhyme of the frost maiden is that this person uh wrote a this book that was basically true but it was about uh all of these um people in Waterdeep and neverwinter that are making deals with devils right and so, um, <laughs> so the, all of these rich families that have made deals with devils at some point, they are sending assassins after this author because they finally found out who he is, and now they're sending. Uh, so, so that's that's why he's there. And so they fight him, and they do a little bit of damage to him, but he like really shows that he can kick some butt. And then he mists out of there. He just he gets out because otherwise they would they would have killed him pretty easily, right? Because um, there's like you know five of them and there's only one of him. So even if he was kicking so much butt, like that action economy is not in his favor at all. So he's but he showed himself because basically he said you know I'm after you. I'm going to find you and I'll get you when you don't have you know all this backup basically right when when it's a more fair fight I'm going to I'm going to come get you. And uh, 
Yeah. So now they're so now they're leaving, right? Now they're now now they're like, oh crap, we got to go find our way to this town because we don't want to deal with him again, right? We are like, okay, this is not right. We got we got to go. So they go down and they're they're now sending their familiars out through passageways to find out where, and they find this sort of dark arboretum like this area where there's all these really black trees with the dark leaves growing up and in there there's a dryad and um what they what they when they go in there they end up like they they send a familiar down there and then one of them sneaks down it's it's like down this sort of tube like passageway and one of them sneaks in there and they um they get in there and they realize the dryad is actually talking to the assassin who is now looking for them again because they went and hid, right? Because um, it's now it's been a day in, in game time, and so th- so they're like, oh crap, we got to sneak around. So they they were really really smart and tactical about this, and they snuck down. They made sure they they were very descriptive about how they were doing it, and they snuck around and they got through there, and they didn't actually get seen or heard by those by those two. Uh, the dryad would not have heard them hurt them. The dryad would have probably helped them, but they didn't want to you know let. Uh, the the assassin know right, so they get when they get out of that cave they walk and there's this 200 foot long like ice bridge going from the cave over to one of the towers in Yithrin, but as they start walking through Oral shows up, and she basically says to them, you know, you know what are you doing here basically, and so they start trying to talk to her. And she says, well, no one's allowed to pass and go into this area because this is my city. I've preserved it and I own it and I'm I'm keeping it, you know, the way I want it. And so I don't want you making a mess over there. And they are trying to convince her, no, no, we just, we have some business. We need to go over there, right? Um, and they're like, crap, we really don't want to fight her. So they start talking to her and she says, well, why should I let you pass? And so one of them says, well, you know, you should let me pass because I have this background, I have that, and I did this and I did that. And she says, she basically says, so, you know, so what you're, the things you're describing to me are very cruel. Are you cruel? And the PC was like, ah, oh, I guess I am kind of cruel because I did like, so they realize, oh, so she's got four tenets. If we could represent her four tenets, she'll let us go because to that PC, she says, all right, fine, you can go. You can go because you have something that is representing me. So you can go to my city because you're representing me. So she lets that person pass. So then they go. But the problem is there's four tenants and five PCs. So they get <laughs> – they four of them figure out a way to convince her, right? And it, I, I didn't just let them say anything. They had to actually, like – show how you know it basically made them realize some of their bad behavior that they had been forced to do because this this environment is so horrible right and um so so they get they get by but then they end up having to fight her because they they could have gotten the other person through but um basically what oral said was because that the last person the last pc to come through was um a uh, a celestial um warlock and um ASMR and Oral said uh, denounce your patron and take me as your patron and I'll let you pass and (laughs) the PC was like F to the no (laughs) that's not happening Uh, there's no way that that is but but there was actually a conversation about it because it was like well could we 
lie and try to make it seem like we want to do that and we're and like sort of misrepresent and misdirect and can we do that when anyway eventually so um they were like we can't fight right now we need to buy time with her so they actually um got oral to give them 24 hours to make a decision or 12 hours or something like that and then they went and they could go rest because they knew they were probably gonna have to fight her and they had already gotten their butts handed to them already in that session so i let them rest because there's no way they were gonna like deal with oral um and i didn't want them to turn around and just leave right so because they, they need to make forward progress so i let them rest they took another rest day um so the the, the caves of hunger were pretty damaging for them so the next day they fight oral and they defeat her and her they, – they fought all three of her forms at the same time uh, plus a ton of ice methods because you know the forms can just conjure three ice methods as like a legendary action, right? I changed her stat block just a little bit because I, I didn't want her to – so I wanted her to be a little bit formidable. I didn't want her to just completely fall down. And by the time they got to her, they were already ninth level. Um, and as written in the book, they're supposed to be seventh level when they meet her, theoretically. So because ninth level to kill a god is slightly more appropriate than seventh level. <laughs> and this is the thing, right? Like I know, I know that's a Mike Shea complaint about right. this whole thing, but like the idea is she's not—it's not really oral; it's her avatar, right? That's why there's three of them. Otherwise, there's not three orals, you know. Um, and it's just her physical manifestation on on the planet, and you know, whatever. I mean, even you know, the thing is that ninth or seventh level D and D fifth edition PCs are freaking superheroes. Okay. They're superheroes. So, you know, okay. They're fighting a God. Like I don't actually have a problem with that in forgotten realms. I probably wouldn't let it happen in Greyhawk, but in forgotten realms, I don't really care. Right. Like whatever. That's fine. Who cares? I don't, I don't really care. I, that's, that's a huge Mike Shea like problem with the book, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> if I was writing the adventure, I certainly would not have them fighting a God at seventh level. That's true. I think at the very least, uh, if they were fighting the God, that that would be, the epic climax to the whole right. thing. Right. You've got a whole other right. chapter to run after. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. <laughs> two others, two others, two after her. There's the Caves of Hunger and then Yithrin. There's oh, two thought, other chapters after I thought this was at her. the end of the caves. Well, this is, but that's because I changed how they, right. in the in the book, they meet. They can meet her at her house when right. they're seventh level, right? And But by the time, right, so they did, they actually, tr they did her house really well and they snuck around and she didn't, they waited for her to leave because she goes out every night at midnight mm -hmm. and flies around and casts the rhyme, right? So she's not there. So that's when they snuck in. So they didn't right. meet her in the house, right? So, so yeah, as written, you can have them meet her in the caves, or you can have them meet her in the house. But you know, if they're in the house, they're seventh level, and they're still is she's still fightable, right? And so that's Mike's problem. My thing is, um, I wouldn't have written it like that if I was writing it, but I didn't write it, and I signed up to run sure. the adventure, right? Like my, I ran it because my players wanted me to. Otherwise, I was going to go homebrew, right? You're, you're spending a lot of time arguing against Mike, who's not here. Well, you brought it up. <laughs> I, I just made a single statement. Anyway, so they get, they go in, right? And so uh, they go into the town, and they see that the town has all these holes in it. This is not written in the book. This is my own thing, where it looks like things are like drilling up from the underdark. Because remember, in my game, Torog took mm -hmm. the place of Asmodeus, right? Not in terms of he's not the head of hell, but I totally took Asmodeus out of this story and made it Torog, right? And so their their thing that they're trying to do is find the Mithalar and the Black Obelisk in Yithrin so that they can make sure Torog can't escape the Underdark. 
Okay, that's that's what their goal is. They don't know how they're going to do it. They don't know how exactly all those two things are related. They're not sure what, what the Mithalar is going to do and what the Black Obelisk is going to do. But they've gotten disparate like information about each of those, and they know they have to do something with them. So they need to get into Yithrin. That's why they fought Oral. Otherwise, they would have just turned around and left. But they're trying to keep Torog from coming up. And they see when they they're at this view where they see all the whole city like going off into the distance because it's huge. But they see all these holes coming up from the Underdark, and they decide. Oh crap, we got to really stop this. This is really, really bad. So they go, they sleep for a night because, you know, Oral messed them up, almost killed them. And then they get up the next day and they go to a tower. And I used a product from DM's Guild by, I think, Dan Kwan. They, they, uh, so they went and they, they went to this tower. And I didn't want to use the towers of the way that, um, the way that they are in the, in the book. Okay, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, I used this tower from this. Uh, um, here it is. It's the it's 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 called. Um, he named it. Uh, ta- what did it's Yithrin expanded, um, and he has all these towers. And is he Daniel? It, yeah, Daniel Khan, not Quan Khan. Okay. K-A-H-N. Anyway, so he created seven new, seven or eight new towers, right? But I didn't want to use them all because, again, I don't want to stay in Yithrin for freaking ever, right? Because you can spend decades in Yithrin playing the game, right? I, I, think, and I, I think it took us four or five sessions to get through Yithrin. And my original right. thought was, oh, we'll do this in like two sessions. And boy, was yeah. I wrong. Yeah, no, there's a ton of stuff to go there. The idea is you're supposed to get the first you have to go figure out what you have to do. Then you have to go get these eight artifacts to create this ritual so that you can go into the middle tower and then find all well, it's not, it's not artifacts. It's it's little clues to what the ritual is. Yeah. Yeah, you find the actual lines get, that tell you what the, to do in the ritual. Get the eight MacGuffins right. in order to do yeah, the yeah, ritual. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I was like, no way. I'm not that that could take my group because they like to meander and discuss and do all these things. That's going to take them eight or 10 sessions. So I'm like, I want to do this in three sessions. So they had the session where they defeated Oral. They spent the night in the city. It caused all kinds of weird things with their magic. I know I'm out of time. And then they they went and they go to this one tower the next day after figuring out that magic's all messed up like sometimes it's super duper powerful more than they thought and sometimes it doesn't work at all less than they thought right and so they go into this tower and what i had happen was they went to this tower and it's the tower of conjuration and in that tower there is actually an ice devil and the reason i chose that is because one of my pcs is um the cho was the chosen uh, he was the son of bjornhild the one of the um reghead tribes the tiger leader right and also the son of levistus and so since he was the son of Levistus, I had this ice devil show up so that he's like, oh, crap. Now there's all this crap from a Levistus coming in here, right? So anyway, in that particular tower, I had them get all eight of the rules, right? All eight of the things they had to do. And that's where we ended the session. So in the next session, I'm gonna they're going to go into the middle tower because now they know how to do all eight things. And this can be done. So I've, I'll have done Yithrin in basically two and a half sessions if you count the fight with Oral. Um, yeah, so... I'm going to be done with this. I'm so glad I'm moving away from fifth edition. I'm so, I'm so happy to be done with this adventure and to be getting out of here. Like, I just don't, I, I'm, 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 I'm ready to move on and do other things. I just don't, I don't want to be there anymore. So as much as it's been fun, rhyme is still one of my, I think uh, rhyme and uh, tomb of annihilation for me are the two best, you know, 
adventures because I can homebrew so much of them, right? Like I've changed every single thing. Like every every chapter I've changed stuff, right? Because that's how I play. And so those two being so sandboxy make it easy to do that. But I'm still done. Well, and and Rhyme is a game that has a lot. I like it is it is it has a it has a mood to it that I could see after gaming in that sort of mood and sort of that genre for a long time, you're just ready to, or a person would be ready to just not be right. Uh, Curse of Strahd is that way a little bit, you know, you're in the horror and it's dark and it's gloomy and, you know, spooky, 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 and it just never ends. Um, but there's enough variety and, and it's a shorter, time frame i guess because it really hits at like level five through whatever 10 12 um so i don't know uh, i tolerated it a little bit with um curse of strahd in a way that i imagine rhyme would become onerous eventually and you know even then like i i finished my my one big campaign uh, uh, back in november or so all right and and i was super eager to move on to the next thing. I was still having fun, right? I was still having a blast with what I was playing, but that doesn't mean I don't like, I see the end and I start to get the itch, right? So, well, I look forward to uh, all the things that you do next. And uh, I just wanted to add, having run uh, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden for two groups in parallel, I think Mike did the same thing. Uh, by the time I got to a lot of that stuff, I just had thrown it completely out the window and was doing my own thing. I was mostly just following the threads that my players had laid for themselves. So, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately, I can't sympathize with like that slog of that later part of the adventure. But that is to say, because I just completely eschewed it. Um, and so, I mean, I think that there's a definitely a, a desire to do that because there's a lot of that end game that you just kind of look at and you go, that looks like a lot of work. Maybe I won't do that. Well, I, I see. I had the, uh, you know, I think my uh, way back in, in, in my original sort of review when the book came out and, and I wasn't talking to people that had run it right. My big critique of the adventure was that those last two chapters really don't connect well to the rest of the story uh, and you could kind of issue them and and still get the thrust of what the story was about but at the same time i thought there was some really cool stuff in yithrin so i just ripped right. yithrin out of the uh, rhyme right. and stuck it in my own campaign and we had a blast doing it right it worked really well and it wasn't a slog but that's because we were, had been doing something completely different for the previous you know 12 levels or whatever yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, part of the reason why I like rhyme so much is that because I did read the whole book before I read it, I knew already that those two last chapters didn't really fit unless you start hinting and giving clues and making them fit really early, which I did from, from day one, my party knew, like I worked it into their backgrounds that there's this thing in the ground they don't know about yet. And I, and there's all these other factions, you know? And so I, I did all that. I did the work. It's been a real, I mean, don't get me wrong. When I say I'm done with it, I I'm just done with it. Cause I'm ready to move on. Not because it wasn't fun. I, ha- I had a ton of fun. It's the, probably the second best D and D fifth edition published adventure I've run. Right. So, yeah. All right. 
Uh, well, I think Sam took uh, my time as well, so let's go yeah, ahead sorry. and move on. <laughs> hey, look, uh, no, Mike's not here. Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's, yeah, well, and we didn't get to hear from you last, uh, last month, yeah. so it was a chance to get a lot of catch-up. Uh, I do want to let people know if you want to find the show on Twitter, you can go to The Tome Show uh, or the Twitter at The Tome Show is the Twitter handle. Uh, and from there, you can also find in the in the bio a link to our Discord, um, which is always a fun little group. All right. It's my turn. Um, I continue to run two games. I run uh, – well, sort of. I run one game with my kids. Uh, we have been playing an adventure for Torg called uh, – Torg Eternity – called The Fires of Ra, uh, which has actually been a lot of fun. Um, it's it's Nile Empire, which is is lots of sort of Indiana Jonesy sort of pulp era superhero uh, adventuring and what have you. And um, most recently, they have gone off to Hespera, the the island that has been um, converted over to be basically Amazons. Right? It was it was. Prior to the invasion, it was an island made uh, that was like a touristy area in the Mediterranean. Uh, and then the reality wash hit when the invasion of Nile Empire came in. And every single tourist there transformed into an Amazon, regardless of previous gender, right? Uh, and so and so they, they, they show up because they're trying to get the Amazons to work with their team against in the war against the, the invaders. Um and, and so they come in and they they bring a gift, but one of the bad guys have a have a diplomatic team there as well, and it's all very sort of uh, Greekish there. And there's you know uh, attacks by giant scorpions, and and some of the um, Amazons feel like they should be more aggressive and, and leading the world and conquering the world, sort of thing. And so there's there's not only the bad guy faction there, but there's also the faction of Amazonians that that think they should be more aggressive and want to overthrow the queen and, and what have you. And so they do these, you know, these Greek style games on horseback. Uh, and then um, there's a dinner party thing where you get to sort of try to gain the favor of, of the queen. Uh, and then uh, ultimately the, um, the, the, I don't even remember what they were called now, the Furies, I think, uh, which is the, the Amazons that want to overthrow the queen, uh, start the rebellion while the, the players are there. And so they get to help save the queen from the Gorgon and, uh, defeat the bad guys and what have you. Uh, and that went really well. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and then that was the end of the act. So Torg Eternity Adventures are set up into acts and scenes. There's several scenes that make up an act, right? Uh, and this adventure is like six or seven acts. And we so that, that's a pr pretty long slog uh, for, um, you know, the, the especially the younger kid who, who has a hard time focusing that long on, on any given thing. Uh, and so we have a general rule that when we finish an act, We'll, we'll spend a week or two taking a break, playing a, a quick board game or, or something, and then at the end of each adventure, we'll take a break from the campaign and go play a completely different game for a while, right? Uh, so we took a break uh, at the end of that act, and we've been playing um, a couple... Uh, so have you ever heard of the games uh, called Unlocked? It's apparently a series of games that I'd never heard of before, but one of my uh, adult players... Uh, are like, hey, you did the we we did this box one game that was a lot of fun. He and I together, right? Uh, that's a Neil Patrick Harris's box one, and it's very sort of puzzles and riddles and escape room sort of stuff, right? And he's like, oh, do you like escape room games? And I'm like, is that a thing? I didn't know. So he brought a couple of it for us to play, and and we played some of that last weekend. That was a lot of fun. Um, and now we have 
four more scenarios from those to try to get through as well. Uh, And I think we might try to squeeze all those in before we get back into Torg, um, just because that player is going to be moving away soon in a month or so. And I want to make sure to finish that up and get get his games back to him. So Uh, in my adult game, we last time I had talked about um, how we we were tired of, of our hiatus from D&D. And despite the fact that um, we have this player who's leaving in a month or so, um, we're just going to go ahead and start the next big campaign. So we started our Descent into Avernus game. Um, I, I I did my, my crazy idea to sort of do the fall of Elturel uh, sort of preview adventure to Descent into Avernus, but do it as a series of flashbacks. Uh, in like the opening sequence in in Descent into Avernus, uh, I had this idea of like, oh, you're you're there and you're seeing the refugees and you see this thing in the crowd or this person and it reminds you of this. And so I did Fall of Elturel uh, as a series of flashbacks. The only thing that I think I would change, I think it went generally well, uh, and we had a big session zero ahead of time, so I tried to I tried to guide them towards characters that would fit well into the campaign. I did have at least two of my players basically show up with fully fleshed out character concepts that I then had to negotiate with to tweak. Um, despite all of my my requests that they not do that, they they did anyway. Um, but yeah, so the series of flashbacks I was saying worked pretty well. I think the one thing I would probably change if I did it again would would be to to make the flashbacks go in order. Um, I did this thing where the flashbacks sort of jumped around into different parts of the the timeline, uh, and it got confusing to them because they're like, "Oh, well, we had this fla- this part of the flashback, and we picked up this magic item. So then, in the next part of the flashback, I used the magic item, and I was like, you you can't do that because you haven't picked it up yet. It's out of you know. So that was all kinds of confusing for them. Um, but for the most part, that went pretty well. I did have what, the one player who's leaving also got a little upset at one point, partially because of the players who who came in prepped with their characters. Right. Uh, and then he and I, and he had, and he got upset and it kind of killed the mood a little bit for the, for the intro of the game, which is not what I was aiming for. Right. Uh, but he had some concerns that he had let sort of bottle up um, that, that I took him out to lunch the next week and we sort of chatted through that and, and what have you. Um, and mostly I, I feel like that stuff's behind us. The last session we played last weekend. So then, then we actually took a week off because I ran a game on my campus. Um, so this week and weekend, actually, uh, at St. Mary's College in, in Indiana, uh, the uh, theater department is putting on a production of She Kills Monsters, uh, which is a D&D themed um, play. Uh, for those who don't know, the the general story is um, the main character's family, parents and sister, uh, are in a car accident and die. And while she's sort of grieving the loss of her family and wishes sort of she had a chance to get to know her sister better, she finds a D&D module that her sister wrote, convinces a, a local guy at the high school to run the adventure f- for her. Uh, and and realizes that her sister, put, you know, t- the adventure is very in many ways autobiographical, right? And so she gets to know her sister better through this D and D adventure. But it does a lot of the like, you see the characters sitting around the table playing, and then it flashes over to, and then there's their characters out there actually fighting the monsters, and so you get to do a lot of uh, stage fighting and kind of stuff. Now, anyway, um, 
in preparation for that, um, last two two Fridays ago, our campus hosted a D and D night so that all the the theater folks who've never played D and D could come and play D and D. And so, of course, I volunteered to not only help out but run a table. Uh, and so, I played a little bit of uh, with them. I played an adventure from the first issue of Arcadia. Actually, um, the 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 workshop watches. Um, which was actually really good. It's sort of this weird, it's, it's completely fantasy and magic, but it's like a magic AI. Uh, so it, it has, it sort of has these tropes of some classic fantasy, like the AI has become sentient and killed off everybody in the space station sort of stories going on. Um, and that went really well. Uh, they had fun. Um, so, so that I was pleased with that. And then last weekend we got back into descent into avernus for session two um and it's all of the baldur's gate stuff right um getting getting the the task of finding and rooting out the dungeon of the dead three or the cult of the dead three um the attack of the pirates and the elf song tavern uh all that kind of stuff um the the thing that i'm that i'm kind of dealing with with the the adventure though and i talked a little bit about this on the discord recently um one i'm trying to make it a real point to highlight all of the characters more. Uh, That was one of the complaints that came up uh, from the previous campaign is that it kind of felt like one of the characters was the main character of the campaign and everybody else sort of did important things and had spotlight moments, but it was really this other person's story, right? Um, The good news is, I guess, that player... Like, I don't want to squash that player's enthusiasm. They do a lot of extra stuff and role-playing and and writing of of narrative and whatever in between sessions, and I don't want to squash that enthusiasm and excitement. But that's also one of the players that, like, pre-made all of their characters uh, or their character, basically, their whole storyline, which means uh, it's not going to fit super well into the rest of the campaign. So uh, they may end up taking a little bit less of a a spotlight role in this campaign, and I'm going to be more conscious of it as well. Um, so, so I've been working really hard at that, but the other, one of the things that they do in Descent into Avernus is they have the, this dark secret concept, right? Yeah. It's part of the character creation process. You, you, you can either choose from a list or roll up randomly. And I had them just choose from a list cause I thought it was more interesting, but I also curated the list. I didn't give them the whole list from the book. I changed some things or I, I el- eliminated things that weren't really dark, right? I want it. Right. Like, Rhyme does that same thing. Similar, and I yeah. I took and I gave three I changed I changed some of them and I gave three choices to each PC because I wanted to Well, right. So so I wanted to, to curate what was actually gonna be possible, right. right? So Rhyme has characters have secrets. In descent, it's the party as a group has a secret. Their role in what happened is different, but everybody has this shared dark secret that binds them together. Uh, and I've and I've really highlighted in the introduction to the adventure that li- this is a story about redemption, right? The the theme of this campaign is redemption. Like you 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 may be in the muck and you may be horrible people and you may have done horrible things, but there is hope and we can do better. And these are people who are trying to do better because that's also the theme with like Zeriel and what what happens when they go to hell, right? Is is Zeriel was lofty and then fell, but can be redeemed sort of, you know, so it's all this redemption thing. So I'm like, well, the dark secret needs to matter then. Right. Uh, But it, 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 and the dark secret matters can matter like as written, the dark secret matters in as much as how they're bound together and, and what have you. But the dark secret they chose is that they killed um, this innocent baker woman. Cause she's a gossip and learned some secret information she didn't, she shouldn't have had. Right. So they killed her. Um, and 
uh, you know, and the, the captain, one of the captains of the of the local guard knows about it and, and what have you. And so they have that binding together thing. But then when they we chose the consequences for that, the consequences, they actually chose they wanted to have two consequences because they thought it was interesting. And so one of the consequences is um, you killed her, but she didn't stay dead. So she's still out there. Right. And she wants revenge. And then the other consequence they chose is and now the guild is after you. And so I've been trying to – like the adventure doesn't do a great job of like, OK, well, that's a natural thing that could happen. But then that needs to be a part of the adventure. That like, You should be running into that when you're running around a Baldur's Gate. And so I've been trying to wrap my head around because the adventure doesn't lend itself to that at all. I've been trying to, to bring in ideas about how to integrate that more meaningfully. And so I thought, well, what if she's a revenant? Because then even if she like comes after him – early on and they kill her again she's just going to keep coming back because she's a revenant right uh and then i just and, and i decided that she is actually she was secretly one of the the kingpins for the guild the guild is like the the massive organized crime organization of, of Baldur's gate so what if she was one of the kingpins like each neighborhood has a kingpin she was secretly one of the kingpins and so that's why the guild is after him and so i'm going to have the 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 leader of the guild show up in their in their room at whatever inn they decide to stay in uh tonight on the first night that they're actually staying in, in the inn or in Baldur's gate and the the leader of the guild is going to just sort of wake them up tapping them on the head in their rooms already is like hey so you know Bringing people back from the dead's expensive, and you kind of got on my shit list, and I got to make an example of it. But you didn't know she was one of mine, so I'll give you the opportunity to pay me back. Uh, and I think the the payment's going to be, you know, five thousand gold or whatever it takes to to resurrect somebody. Ignoring the fact that she didn't actually resurrect, have have the the kingpin resurrected, right? She came back as a revenant, but she didn't mention that. She just said it's expensive to bring people back. You owe me, you owe me gold, right? Um, and then I was going to have – and a favor. And the favor was going to be um, I want you to kill Darman Zaj, who is the member of the Flaming Fist, the guard who who put them on this this mission, right? Because um, I thought that would be interesting. And I think I think it would be interesting if – so when they go into the Dungeon of the Dead 3, um, they, they find this treasure that the Dead 3 stole from the Cult of, of the Dragon, right? Uh, and so they're like, hey, sweet, we're rich. And they come out of the, the dungeon and the, the cult of the dragon is there. And odds are at that point, like they've just had their asses handed to them and they're, and they're exhausted um, and they don't have a lot of resources. And so there's a good chance they give up the money to the cult. But I figure the cult's going to be there waiting for them and say, OK, give me the give us give us our our treasure back. And then the guild's going to show up and say, Oh, hey, look, there's that payment we asked, that, that our boss asked for. Like, pay that up too. And so we will end up with this, this standoff, this three-way standoff of like, but we want to keep the treasure, but they want the treasure, but they want the, oh my, you know, so, and so we could have a situation where everybody's just fighting everybody. Um, so, so that's what I'm, where I'm sort of trying to integrate some of those things. Um, you know, but but I think there's a lot more, I think we could spend a lot of, a lot more time in, in Baldur's Gate than is either, um, written into the adventure or is is even like i bought all these extra supplements and stuff because i like doing that kind of stuff on dm's guild take take all these collections of adventures or or encounters or whatever and, and, and incorporating them in and i think a lot of those do a great job of highlighting the dead three better than the than the book does uh as written um 
but they're not giving me much more to deal with in terms of all this other stuff and bringing in uh, these these character moments and whatever. So I'm going to get to sque- squeeze in a little bit of homebrew with that kind of stuff as well. So uh, so that's where my game is, uh, and where I'm, we're going to play again tomorrow. I've got a long, long day tomorrow of driving all over the state uh, and then trying to get back just in time. But um, hopefully, I get back in time and we can and have our game, and I don't fall asleep. Yeah, I, I really wish that um, they had worked those that, like, you're talking about the Dark Secret, right? And I, I wish that they had worked the Rhyme of the Frostmaiden ones in more as well. Um, there's a couple that are worked in really well, and then there's, like, two or three that are just completely throwaway, like, BS stupid ones, right? Like, you know, Drizzador number one fan or yeah. something. It's, like, so horrible. Like, it just... Well, I mean, I get why they did it, uh, and it's a neat little allusion to, to stuff. I, I, I imagine that's why the drow are in the caves of hunger as well. They, they did a lot in that adventure to like have little cameos from other adventures and other th- things. Right, yeah. The but, brand. but yeah, no, but I get the what thing you're is when, when you have one, one PC might get the one that gives them resistance to cold, right? Which is a major part of the adventure at the beginning. And one gets, I'm Drizzt's number one fan. Well, and the, the one who gets resistance to cold also is, is dramatically connected to the story in meaningful right. ways. Yes. Right. And then you run the risk of now it's their story. Then there's like neutral ones where one of them is like they're an agent of the Harpers or the Zints or something. They're they're a hidden agent and they have a contact in uh, one of the towns and they mm-hmm. tell you the name of who that person is in the town. And then in the town section doesn't mention anything. Like it never mentions anything in the adventure at all. So even so now that's now it's on the the impetus is on the DM to literally take that person and basically right. create them and put them in the adventure because we got a name and the fact that they're a contact and that's right. it. And like like I don't mind doing that sort of stuff, but like just one sentence that says, hey, by the way, if you one of your players, if you, one of your PCs has this secret, then this person is probably in this tavern. Right. In both right. in both cases, in both adventures, it feels like the secret part was kind of tacked on after the adventure was done, uh, yeah. as opposed to like uh, Wild Beyond the Wild Beyond the Witchlight, where the, they kind of they don't do secrets, but they do like the lost things uh, as mm-hmm. one of the possible hooks. But when you right. get into the adventure, it, it actually makes a there's a, a a brief note in the locations where you might find the lost things to let you know that okay. they're there. So yeah. I think yeah. they do a better job of integrating it in that case. Right. And, and it's not even one of the, like it's one of the two possible hooks. It's not even necessarily yeah. one that you have to use. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I didn't even get into all, you mentioned the, the Harpers and whatever. I didn't even get into all of our, our faction mm-hmm. situations, right? Uh, almost, well, three of the five characters are members of the flaming fist kind of, um, <laughs> One, kind of. Well, how can you kind of be a member of the Flaming they're, Fist? Because they're a mercenary band, so they got themselves right. hired for a bit, and then they'll leave when it's convenient, right? Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, And then one is pretending to be a member of the Flaming Fist, but is actually a Harper, and one's a member, member of the Order of the Gauntlet, who just ended up, in the, you know, hooking up with this yeah. group at some point. But then I've also added in um, the 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 patron concept from Tasha's. Uh, I'm using a, an otherworldly, otherworldly patron, and they don't know who it is. I've just referred to them as the betrayed. Um, but the idea that I'm building to uh, that that is that um, the betrayed is actually Kaz 
from Kaz and Vecna. Uh, and Kaz is the one inside the companion, the big second son over Elturel. Instead of an angel, it's Kaz in there. And he's 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 trying to get them to free him. Um, right. so, and, and meanwhile, because that would tie into the whole Archon thing in Avernus because he has the hand of Vecna. And then Kaz wants right. to get free and destroy right. the hand. And then... Mm-hmm. If we decide to keep, if I decide to to continue on like I did after Curse of Strahd and do a, a sort of a third act, I could do a third act that's more Vecna and Kaz focused um, that way as well. So there's all kinds of stuff going on, and I'm um, I may have thrown too much out to be able to reference all of it consistently in this early stages. I think some of it will will fade in and out, but there's a lot going on for me to try to balance and juggle right now. So mm-hmm. yeah, all right. Well, that is um, that is my time. Well, I'll go ahead and wrap there. So, unless Ish has anything else to say, so I I, I just want to say that um, poor Ish runs like eight games and talked about one of them and quit basically when his time was up. And then we're running one game each and we're like <laughs> talking for a half hour. <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and wrap it up. That we'll call that the end of this episode. Um, I don't know. You can find Sam on Twitter. He is at DM Samuel. Uh, Ismail Alvarez is at Elven Wizard King. I am at Squatch. Uh, and this has been behind the DM screen. So say goodbye, guys. Bye, guys. Bye.